Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to December, folks. Beautiful December here. The holidays are just around the corner. And we are back here at the Battleground Wisconsin. I am joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director. Robert, good to have you. Good day, everyone. All right, Robert. And then we are fortunate. We have a special guest. We are really excited about having state representative supreme moore mukunde with us to talk about what's been going on in the state legislature and some exciting things we are working on and he has been working on representative it's great to have you thanks for having me uh matt it's always a good to be amongst friends here <laughs> that is that is for sure um and we we appreciate you taking the time and the reason um well Beyond just, it's always good to talk to you, but we wanted to have you on uh, to talk a little bit about a couple of things that we have been working on intensively uh, with you in particular, but uh, other progressive leaders. Uh, and that includes both on healthcare. Uh, you are one of the co-sponsors of the Badger Care Public Option, which uh, added two new sponsors in the last week. Uh, Representative, our listeners should know, Representative Kaylin Haywood signed on and also Lisa Subek is uh, signed on, and we continue to urge folks to sign on, but uh, you're a, a leader in that. But also, Supreme, and you know, Robert, you can dive in deeper on this. You are uh, working on some really important climate work uh, and a leader on trying to think about how we can really get serious about tackling climate in this state uh, and in the state legislature. And so we're going to want to get into a discussion of that. But first of all, just Supreme, good to see you uh, at your thoughts on let's start with the Badger Care Public Option. Um, why do you see this as uh, super important? And I guess if you could tell our listeners, right? They because our listeners know we work on healthcare a lot and we talk a lot about healthcare issues. But why, in particular, is the Badger Care Public Option uh, important to you, uh, and why you wanted to be a, a lead co-sponsor? So for me, it's really important. One, when we talk about healthcare, we talk about wellness. Um, it's important that we're having this robust conversation and talking about everybody. And what this bill does is that it, it expands healthcare to people in the state of Wisconsin. That's one of our stepping stones to getting to a more equitable healthcare system. And so this bill does three things. Uh, first and foremost, um, it extends healthcare to in the state of Wisconsin to uh, more people, those who would be at the 100% uh, the federal poverty line. We're not going to extend that to the 200%, which actually doubles the amount of people that can come. It doubles your your the area that that you can, if going from 14,000 to maybe 30,000 makes you more eligible to people. It also grants the authority to cover folks in, in creating an, a state exchange in the state of Wisconsin. So you're actually having an exchange here and not relying on some federal exchange or even a hybrid of a state and federal exchange. It, ha it allows you the ability to have a state based uh, medical um, assistance plan. And also it helps small businesses like Citizen Action, like local organizations, uh, like uh, other places who have 50 or less employees um, so that they can buy into, they can, in the purchasing section, they can purchase into a plan and purchase their own plan for their employees, for small business owners. And so it helps people to not be tied to um, exclusively uh, these, these larger people who are delivering our healthcare system, it gives people an option to, to have a, a not corporate 
uh, option versus versus a smaller business one or one that's run by state government. And so that's why it's really important to me. It expands. It gets us that step closer to being able to cover everybody. Um, that's a different conversation. However, I think this is a great option for folks and it's not shutting down your private health care. Um, it's just giving you an extra op option as to uh, attaining health care for yourself, the good quality health care that everybody deserves. Thanks for your leadership on this, Supreme. And that was a very good explanation, uh, for, very clear um, of what it does. We know that healthcare cost is a huge issue, both in terms of healthcare, which is a right. Uh, this is for people, people, big, huge public concern, but also economically, because this hyperinflation in healthcare has occurred each and every year, and we spend much more per person by uh, by two to three times any other country in the world. We have a very expensive, very inefficient healthcare system. What's surprising to me is that the legislature simply has not taken this issue up, despite it being at the top of the public's agenda, if you actually talk to people around coffee tables uh, or, or at the local cafe. And the other amazing thing about this is it costs very little money. I know we had a huge surplus this year and people would want us to spend money if we needed to, but the federal government pays 95% of this expansion. This is something Minnesota has done and Wisconsin hasn't, has just left it on the table. So as an insider, though I understand that your party does not control the legislature, give us an insight as to how this legislature should take up all sorts of issues the public is not asking to talk about and is not that interested in with hundreds of bills and how one of the, the top burning public concerns uh, has gotten ignored up till now. Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. Um, with, anytime you talk about expanding healthcare and anytime you talk about a number of other things, uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle like hold their hands over their ears and they hum a tune um, because they don't want to hear us have that conversation. And those who do, want to have the conversation, they're told that they can't have the conversation. And um, there there can be retributions for those who do want to have certain conversations. Um, what I will say is that you also have a party who's, who's looking to win based upon these kind of uh, political divisions, these wedge issues that will, that will uh, separate each other. Um, if they want, they want to talk about things like they want to attack trans youth and they want to, uh, uh, they want to assault people in our school. They want to talk about faulty education, critical race theory, and DEI and things of that nature. And they don't want to talk about the issues that people are facing every day. They want to talk about the issues that they think will help them get clickbait or help them win another local election, help them have ad nauseum control of the legislature. Um, and it's very unfortunate because you have conversations in private that, you know, people are all about these things and they have some great ideas that they're actually willing to give you. They just don't want you to say their name when you start talking about it. And um, and so I've had some great private conversations. I'm like, OK, well, are you willing to step out front and say the same thing? Oh, absolutely not. I'm not going to be punished for these things. And so, uh, unfortunately, an issue like health care gets lost in that sauce. I know that's true of climate crisis, too, that we'll get to. But let me just say, I want to you put your finger on something I want to highlight. You're saying that what holds them in power is not necessarily related to what is actually in the public interest and in public service and the public's greatest needs. 
It's sort right. of like uh, it, it's a it's a big distraction where you can get divide people, get them excited, create a false controversy, and then get yourself reelected. And of course, that's aided by maps that are rigged for one party, which uh, which our audience and you are very well aware of. Uh, that seems like a kind of a moral rot uh, that you, you the, the whole premise of representative democracy is people who are publicly spirited willing to run for office and actually work on the people's problems. And that that has been lost with the majority party, that very little of what they do has much of anything to do with what people what people's actual concerns and, and needs are. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, yes, yes. Unfortunately, um, and, and and you'll hear Robin Voss talk about you lose elections because you don't have good policies to run on. Um, and really what he is doing is pushing elections to talk about fear. He wants to fear monger. And all, they always throw women and children in the front of, of the things that is being attacked. They're going after our women in sports, these trans folks. They're going after our children in schools, these trans folks. They're teaching DEI and they always want you to be fearful of who is going to have access to your women and your children, much in the way that they used to do um, in, in the civil rights era when they talked about black men. And um, they're coming for your women. They're coming for your children, et cetera. It's, it's uncannily similar. So, yes, you're right. I would like to, Robert mentioned, he mentioned uh, climate. I would love to just transition because it is, it's got to, it's just one of the most pressing issues. And there was some significant efforts made in Congress a couple of years ago, right under the first two years of the Biden administration around um, the both both tepidly in the uh, Infrastructure Act, but the Inflation Reduction Act was a major sort of down payment nationally on trying to tackle the climate crisis that we face that like is not only an issue as just our survival, but it's a huge issue for us economically to get this figured out. And the two of these need to be figured out aligned. And unfortunately, that is all sort of stalled federally uh, and hopefully uh, is something that we could look forward to uh, if we change Congress. Similarly, though, Supreme, and I want to come to you on this is at the state level, there hasn't it's it's been tough, right? We're we're because of the the split in the parties, but it's also hard just to get legislation out there that actually is up to the scale of what we face. Right. And we seem so it can seem so far away that sometimes the only thing that maybe gets on the agenda is, you know, some tepid or fairly small stuff that's good, but just doesn't it's not up to the task of getting where we need to go in the next decade if we're going to actually make serious adjustments. Talk a little bit more about that, your sense of that, and why you're working on trying to solve that and be someone who is um, trying to lead on this and really get Wisconsin back into the game here legislatively. Uh, And the last thing I'll say about this is with the Supreme Court taking up new legislative maps, there's a good chance we are likely going to have new maps and a whole boat of new issues could come into play with even if it's a different legislature, even if Republicans still control it, but it's fundamentally different. Talk about how this and climate fits into that. Maybe a rejiggering changes the whole dynamic and why we desperately need some visionary stuff that actually leads the way as to what we need to do in the state. I'll open up by saying this is that 
we desperately need uh, new maps and we need a uh, new new uh, alternatives to electing folks because you can't um have two-thirds of the seat and not have two-thirds of the folks it just doesn't make sense the math ain't mathing as the young people will say um and around climate justice, it's tough to um, introduce a whole set of climate bills. We had uh, Ford on climate introduced a couple of weeks ago. And then Republicans' response is to laugh at you on social media. And they're acting like we aren't facing an existential threat to our our, our uh, communities and our existence here. Um, and therefore, they're not motivated to do something about it. Um, I am introducing the, the uh, on-bill financing portion again. And also we have an entire package that we're doing um, uh, that my office and the Senator Larson's office is doing as well, where we're going to be talking about uh, some other climate justice and jobs and equity uh, things as well. And that's much needed, Supreme. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Robert and Supreme are going to dive into a little bit more of the details of of what some of this might look like and why, again, it's uh, super critical. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, uh, why don't it's your the floor is yours to follow up with uh, Representative Moore Mukunde. See, climate change is unique in a couple ways, uh, Supreme. Uh, one way is with a lot of the other problems we have, the healthcare crisis, racial inequality, it's an absolute travesty that they continue year after year, but you could actually fix them at any time. With climate, we're warming the planet, you can't reverse it. And so we have a solid deadline to prevent runaway climate change. We've already had climate change. We're already going to have a, a, a different climate. Whether it becomes catastrophic and genocidal is determined by what we do in the next six years before 2030. And then after that, because we have to keep going to have a, a decent chance, not to basically melt the polar ice caps inundate coastal cities and, uh, make a huge portion of, of, of the planet uninhabitable for humans when we have 10 billion humans that will cause uh, death and destruction beyond anything people can imagine. And it has to, ha has to be happening now. And what has me very concerned is, uh, well, first of all, let, let's, let's name what is, the, what, is, what is the evil, and that is those who deny there's any problem at all and just want to drill baby drill or just get what they get what profit they can now. Well, that that's obviously the, the biggest part of the problem. But then we have a group of people who stand with us seemingly and say they agree there's a climate crisis, but then they don't actually offer things that will actually meet what is required. That's what Matt was getting at. And that's just not serious. And we can't we can't change it later. I mean, if we lose democracy, that's horrible. We could, it'd be much harder to get back, but we could fight, have a massive civil disobedience movement and have a revolution and get it back. It'd be better to keep it, right, obviously. Climate change, we warm ourselves three degrees Celsius. We got a new planet and it can't support nearly as many people. And by the way, it makes every other crisis worse. You think the immigration crisis with the number of refugees we now you, we have now is bad. Imagine multiplying it by a thousand and most of South America becoming much less inhabitable in Central America. And think about that everywhere else around the world when Africa becomes uninhabitable, huge parts of it. 
and what the, what that does to the politics, what kind of fascist movements come out of that. So when I like you talk, I mean, the Green New Deal resolution at the national level is not radical at all. All it says is Congress will be held accountable for passing legislation that meets the climate standards we agreed to international treaties, cuts emissions almost in half by 2030. It does it in a way that dramatically increases racial equality and economic equality, because if you're going to change the economy that much, you have a huge opportunity to create a just economy. That's all it says. And it's considered controversial and radical. I don't know why. Even among many of our friends who say they notice they they they, they agree there's a climate crisis. So can you shed light on why why there's so many why we we know we can speculate either group the group that denies and the group that seems to agree but actually isn't willing to do what's necessary. Well, I think one of the biggest things, and I'm glad you brought up the point that uh, uh, climate change affects so many other things as well. Um, one of the biggest things is that uh, being anti, all the money is in is in climate denial. If you look at the books that people produce, if you look at the, the, talk, the think pieces, the talk pieces, all the funding is in denying that there's climate change. Um, and that's where you can get money to write a book and, 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 and do talks, et cetera. Um, secondly, uh, if you compare climate justice and anti-capitalistic movements, um, it, they, they run parallel because if you look at capitalism and you say, oh, there's no climate change, there's nothing happening. It's just regular weather stuff. Then you don't have to hold corporations accountable. You don't have to hold the largest polluters on the planet are corporations. And we don't have to hold them accountable. We don't have to ask them to retrofit their rules. We don't have to ask them to invest in alternatives fuels. We don't have to ask them to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions because they're making their money a certain way. We don't have to reinvest in communities. We don't have to reinvest in alternative industries, et cetera. And so we don't have to change the way that we're doing things because the way we're doing things now has made us money this way thus far. And it helps us to progress our our businesses and our industries, if you will. So we don't have to change anything if nothing is happening. And so we deny that anything is happening so we can continue to do things the way that they're done. And some of us who do recognize that something is happening, um, we want to do it incrementally. We can, those who are opponents of our movements for climate and economic equity, climate justice and economic equity, they can slow those folks down. They can say, okay, it's, it's happening slower than we think. When we know, those who've been in the field know it's happening very quickly and we need to do something now. Um, and we need to do something drastic. I remember we had our focus on our forward on climate press conference. And one of the the the, the folks behind the camera said, this seems like it's nibbling around the edges. Is there anything uh, bigger that's happening? And our thing is, yeah, yes, we want to have a conversation. We want to force the hand of the conversation. This is me speaking. I want to force the hand of the conversation and bring people out of the shadows to talk about these things and if we're going to talk about maps and we can get new maps, then we can have the conversation about these, not just these moral ideologies that people want to run on, but we can talk about things that people actually care about. People are sitting at their kitchen tables. People are sitting at, at family and talking about climate justice. They're talking about other things that can be exacerbated by climate change, et cetera. And so people are having these these dialogues. We're talking about retraining folks in, in jobs. We're, we're talking to unions about how we get more people on the job 
uh, how we're retraining folks, how we're going younger and younger and younger um, and to get people to do these jobs that we're retraining for, uh, these transitional jobs from uh, dirty energy to clean energy, and then introducing other uh, communities into these jobs for a first time. And so we're trying to make sure that we can pay people living wages. We're trying to make sure that we can have people have long sustaining careers in these areas. And these two aspects of folks, it's very funny because a lot of time one tries to influence the other. The one who the climate deniers try to influence those who are just doing a little bit and say, see, they're already doing the work. That work is already happening. You don't need to worry about that. Stop trying to push things too quickly. And in and in reality, we need to be pushing them as quickly as we can and as far as we can. Last thing on this that I'd like you to sure. comment on is any thoughts on or just uh, heads up on what might be coming forward that will help us start to do this in the state and set this up as an election issue? Because to me, and, and I'll challenge our listeners on this, it is absolutely critical as we head into the election season next year, as people are talking about running for the legislature and other seats, what are you willing to do on climate? And will you be bold enough if if we get in a position to actually do what it takes versus and, and I say this very explicitly about Democrats, uh, where there may be some Democratic primaries for some legislative seats, especially if some seats become competitive, right, that weren't. It is important for us to be asking these questions about who, what kind of Democrat we're going to send there in terms of what their position is on climate and whether they're willing to do what's necessary. Um, talk a little more about you know, your, what you're planning on doing and what people ought to be looking out for from you that helps set this agenda up. Well, uh, thanks for that. I've been having some conversations with some union folks about how uh, we can put people to work and we can do some of the climate justice work that we need done. Some of the things that we talked about in the in, a, in the city county task force for climate and economic equity, um, we're taking some of those same principles to the state and some of the work that we're doing there. Uh, we're still doing on-bill financing to make sure that we can incentivize landlords to do some of these upgrades to homes. And so they it's affordable to people who live there and, and pay we energies and pay uh, their utilities. And also it, it, it helps uh, their landlords to do that work and they can have a, a more energy efficient place to live and it actually saves them money. Um, we're also gonna be doing a number of other things uh, uh, as far as making sure that we're holding the biggest polluters accountable because as much as I wish we could, we can't recycle our way out of this. I can't just be like, okay, little Timmy, put that bottle in the blue bin and we'll be good. Um, if that were if that were it, we'd, we'd be out of it by now because my mother's been making me carry around cans and bottles since I was like 10 years old. And so we got to make sure that we're holding the larger polluters accountable, that we're creating an opportunity and incentive for them to not do that, that we're creating the type of uh, uh, infrastructure that makes it easier to have electric vehicles and alternative fuel in the state as well. And um, when it comes to elections and coming up, when I talk to people about climate justice, I think now is as good as, as the time as any to be bold. We need people to be bold um, uh, with the things that they want to do, uh, especially around things like climate justice, because the time is now to be bold. We need to be pushing the envelope off the table. We need to be throwing it across the room. We need to be doing as much as we can uh, with as much as we can at this time. And so my conversation with folks is to be as bold as possible. And uh, I, I was at the MAPS hearing with, with the uh, Supreme Court. There were some good points made, and I'm looking forward to them doing even more. 
folks, listen to the representative here. It is very important that we be asking people, and, and the boldness is, is going to be important because not everyone necessarily is going to be there, but we need to elect those folks who are willing to do that. Representative, thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, and speaking with us, but most importantly, just for leading and being a leader on these important issues and sort of laying out a vision, a pathway uh, where we ought to be going that will provide us hopefully uh, a real opportunity to make a difference in 2024 with a different vision for voters to choose a different path than the one we've been on for, geez, it seems like well over a decade now. So thank you so much for 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 all of that and for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me once again. I always look forward to being here. And with that, we are going to take a break. Robert and I will be right back just to talk about a couple other things in the news before we head on out. Uh, we really appreciate Representative Moore Makunde for joining us, and we'll be right back here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, a lot of stuff going on. It was great to have uh, Representative Moore Makunde get this show off rolling with just, you know, two really critical pieces uh, that we work, two critical areas we work on, both healthcare and climate. So it was great to hear from him. But there's a number of things that were happening uh, this week that I really want to get your thoughts on. Number one, uh, Supreme mentioned the whole situation with the redistricting lawsuit. Well, in addition, there was another really important lawsuit that was brought before the Supreme Court this week, and that is a lawsuit to overturn Act 10. Um, I think everybody who listens to this show know that's the law that Scott Walker passed that basically stripped collective bargaining rights from most of our public employees. And a number of those unions have uh, are part of this lawsuit. And uh, it came out on the same week we got new data from the Wisconsin Policy Forum that Wisconsin teacher pay has been lagging inflation for the last 15 years. Oh, what do you know about the same time of Act 10? Uh, and just these two things, right, are important in revealing about what's happening in public education and why Wisconsin is not committed to public education the way it needs to be. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this. This is um, it's a big lawsuit, and it could be historic. We've never really seen since Act 10 any kind of serious legislative effort uh, to do this. Um, is, is this the first real serious effort to potentially give people their basic dem democratic rights of association back? Well, it's serious because we have an actual Supreme Court now. And I know the media always wants to feel like they're being unbiased. And they go, now it's a liberal majority. It was a conservative majority. First of all, they aren't conservatives by any traditional definition of the word. They're radicals uh, that were controlling the court. It was taken over by the Chamber of Commerce and big money. Uh, but now we have a court that would actually consider this case, and this case is very vulnerable. Uh, the, the law is, and therefore the case is a real threat to Act 10. And here's why. Because Scott Walker is ruthlessly political, unlike other, more than anyone else in a very ruthlessly political age. Remember, he's been spending $1.5 billion more per budget every year to turn down the Medicaid expansion dollars, just so he could say he's against Obamacare. We So we've spent... No, ten, upwards of 10 billion out the door for no reason other than his politics at the time. Well, he also uh, made this law much more vulnerable by excluding 
certain employees that were allies, like police and firefighters, which means that it's a fairly it's a fairly flagrant uh, you know, violation of equal protection. Other states didn't do that, and that made it much less popular. And Ohio was even more unpopular because it was taken away from police and fire. But he rewarded his allies. And so what that does is, with a real Supreme Court, is put this whole thing at risk. And this has been a complete disaster. He called it tools. The tool has been take money away from average people we need, like educators, and give it away in tax cuts to people who don't need it, who are well-connected and powerful and well-off. So this is absolutely critical. We're going to continue to watch and track this case. It'll be one of the biggest cases this court takes up and um, with, of course, redistricting being just uh, fundamental. So uh, appreciate uh, that those unions uh, did not wait around and got this in quickly and got this moving because it is I mean, it of the last 15 years, it's one of the bigger like just anti-democratic moves that's occurred in the state to people's rights and, and the impact it has had on public services and just working people uh, in the state is uh, tremendous. Um, Robert, got to talk about, since we're talking about the Supreme Court, so in the news this week, uh, the 2025 election, God, I was just mentioning next year and getting that set up and the 2025 spring election is already kicked off. You know why? Brad Schimmel is back, uh, former conservative Republican attorney general Brad Schimmel, by the way, further revealing if there was any sort of partisan, nonpartisan thing left here. We have a very conservative Republican attorney general announcing a run for Supreme Court. So uh, the race is on and uh, it just puts into context for us how important the Supreme Court is in these um, these verdicts are coming up that they're already fielding a candidate well over a year, almost a year and a half out of the election. Robert, any thoughts about Mr. Schimmel coming back? Well, I don't know the inside of what the Koch brothers and the other folks and uh, Diane Hendricks and Richard Eline and the people who fund uh, right-wing elections in this state, uh, what their, what their calculations are. Maybe they, maybe they have other preferences and Schimmel is not the guy. You can't tell. What I can say with certainty is, is that the powers that be, the real elite that dominates this state doesn't like having a real Supreme Court and will stop, had stopped at nothing before to take over the court and will stop at nothing to get it back. Because this court also could you could hold culprit responsible Wisconsin responsible for wrongdoing in a way that the other court refused. In other words, a little guy will have a chance in court against a massive health insurance company, for example, um, and and other corporate actors. And so I think we can predict that uh, Ann Walsh Bradley, a very effective and good uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, will face a serious, well-funded challenger, and that. The big money trying to take over our court, that didn't end with the uh, victory this year, Protosalis. It's just the latest battle in that ongoing war to protect democracy. Look, folks, if you want to know what a phony campaign the Schimmel effort's going to be, he he's announced in, in his uh, event where he announced that he was running, he said that his campaign is all about restoring the integrity and accountability on the high court. This court hasn't even ruled. 
on any major case yet, has barely done a damn thing. How the hell can he determine that it has lost its integrity and accountability? It's just crap, right? It's it's shows there's already a phony charge, right? That they started up with whether Protasewicz should recuse herself, even though they've never recused themselves from a damn thing. And now suddenly this guy's running a campaign about integrity and accountability on the court, and they've barely done a damn thing. It shows it's just phony. He's just making the charge. The whole campaign is fraudulent from its inception, from its inception. We'll continue to track this, follow this, watch this race, uh, because guys like Schimmel need to be called out. It's just a, it's, this is a complete partisan hack who is asserting a lack of integrity on a, a court that hasn't even done anything. All right, Robert, before we go, we do have to talk about the third congressional district. Uh, this is the Western Wisconsin congressional seat it was formerly held by democratic Congressman Ron Kine for uh, about two, two decades, moderate Democrat from lacrosse uh, last two years ago. It was, it was won by uh, Van Orden. I, I, I think everybody here knows a, a very conservative, um, someone who was at the January 6th insurrection events at the Capitol, uh, but won, won in what is a very swingy seat. It is winnable by a Republican or a Democrat. In fact, Democrats generally win this seat. So like uh, Baldwin, for example, Evers, right? So it's a very winnable seat. But last time in, in the election, National Democrats didn't really fund it. Brad Bath didn't necessarily have a, a great full-throated campaign, and we lost. Democrats lost that seat. Um, the seat has fortunately got the attention of the National Democrats. They are saying they will invest in this race and that it's a top important race. And, and Robert, what I want to get you to talk about is we have been fortunate in that we actually got a really good Democratic primary setting up here. And the good folks of the uh, third congressional district are going to actually have real choice in this race. We've got at least four Democrats that are running, uh, three that are, you know, clear to be serious and talking about very well-funded campaigns. And they're all a little different, which is exactly what we should have. There should be some choice. And uh, we're going to do a public forum that includes the main challengers. They've all been invited. We look forward and hope they all participate. Um, Robert, this uh, could there be anything more important than trying to bring a progressive congress congressional member <laughs> to Western Wisconsin, which we think is the winning formula? Your thoughts? I mean, not only is this an area that offers progressive representation, there are a lot of strong progressive and populist folks in this district. Uh, but it's critical to the future of the country because there was a five-vote Republican majority in the Congress and the House of Representatives. We've seen what that's led to. And I believe it's down to four. I believe, Matt, that uh, that uh, a certain uh, very unethical and scandalous congressman was expelled from Congress uh, to, this morning uh, as we as we tape this. And so that brings the march even closer. That would be a likely to be replaced by a Democrat in the next election. And so it's very important because I think that there's very good research 
we know that a progressive will appeal in the in the cities in the district, Eau Claire Lacrosse and Stevens Point. There's an increasing body of research that what really works in rural areas is not a moderate centrism, but actually throat-throated populism uh, with people who are, who, who are conversant in and know how to talk to rural folks, that they are folks who are sick and tired of politics as usual and see their communities slowly dying economically and their kids moving away and who actually would prefer. So when you put in a populist, fake populist, uh, concert right winger like Van Orden versus a safe centrist. That's actually a bad matchup for the Democrats, and a lot of the consultants don't get it yet. But the research is becoming increasingly overwhelming on that. So, folks, you need to participate. Join us. Join us on Sunday, December seventeenth. It's a virtual event. We'll put a link in where you can RSVP, and we will uh, get you a link to you can join the Zoom. It's going to be outstanding. We're going to have members from our three co-ops. We have three different organizing co-ops in this district. It's amazing. It's a lot of capacity, and we plan to try to bring it to bear if we can. Uh, but this forum will include a number of questions based off of our platform to try and figure out and make sure that y'all can make your measure of these candidates. But then it is a part of our endorsement process. Uh it is a very important part of our endorsement process because we are going to be surveying all of you who attend and our members to find out what you think about these candidates and whether you think citizen action should endorse in this primary. Uh, our board ultimately makes that decision, but they care very deeply about what our members have to think and, of course, what the positions of these candidates are and who's prepared to win. And so uh, they will ultimately try and tackle and see if we can make that decision and be involved in a primary. Uh, but it all starts with this forum, please, folks. Uh, again, Sunday, December 17th, 6 p.m., 8 p.m., join us. Go click on the link. Till then, we're going to wrap up this uh, show this week. Um, we really appreciate State Representative Supreme Mukunde for joining us for the first couple of segments to talk about healthcare, climate, and just how important everything is in 2024 going forward with this uh, potentially new maps in this uh, from the Supreme Court. So we really appreciate him taking that time. Folks, please encourage folks to join Citizen Action. Go on to our page. There's a Join Us link. Sign up. Become a member. We love it if you can come and help support us, pay dues, pay whatever you can. We really appreciate it. Or just sign up and become a member. We have non-dues paying members. We want you to get involved. We need people in order to change this state. But we're going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Brian Wilder, our producer, who makes it happen every week. And we will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>